0: Welcome to season four of the Invest Your Best podcast with Ali Kay. Come along as I casually explore what it takes to live your best life mentally and physically by focusing on the things you can control, your thinking and actions. Come and listen as I have open, real and honest conversations about what it takes to step into action to live your best life. It's time to invest your best. Welcome to the Invest Your Best with Allie K. I am your host, Allie K. And on this episode, I have on the author of the core three healthy eating plan, Lisa Moskovitz. She talks about the way to discover the simple, sustainable way to lose weight, feel great, and enjoy food freedom. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to just dive in and kind of pick your brain. So, so many people want to lose weight, right? And I think... What I hear, especially from listeners, is they're like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. So tomorrow I'm going to start this whole new diet. It's going to be completely different from what I'm doing now. And then they do it for probably about like four to five days. You know, that's probably like the sustainability of it. And then all of a sudden they crash and then they don't try anything else probably for like two or three months down the road. So, what is it? What works? What is a fad diet? Do diets work? Just talk to me about that. Yes,
1: for sure. So it is such an issue, and I just want to start all of this off by saying, you mentioned a lot of people want to lose weight, and it's true. Most people do. Most people have body image issues. They're not happy with what they see in the mirror. They look at things and they pick themselves apart, and they. And they criticize and they judge, and we just talk badly about ourselves because we are a culture of just comparison. We're creatures of comparing each other, looking at our body parts and our face and our hair and our eyelashes and our eyebrows and our no- and all these little things, and comparing it to everybody. and with social media, it's become harder than ever because we don't know what's real and what's fake out there. And a lot of it yes. does get misconstrued as real, and it just makes us feel bad. And then on top of that, the diet industry is a 1000000000 multi-billion dollar industry at this point. It is full of of snake oil. Honestly, there's some science, but a lot of it is snake oil. It's out there to get you to buy into it, to give them your money, to believe in you can buy hope in a bottle and that this program is going to change your life. And it really makes me sad to see that because people deserve to feel their best. They do. Like You have every right to want to feel your best, but we're so often misled. And at best, we just waste a little money. But at worst, you some people end up feeling even worse about themselves. They've developed disordered eating, eating disorders, which is a serious, life-threatening mental health condition. And it can just really snowball and turn into this major, major issue, which is what I see a lot of clients for, is that they develop these fears around food. So we have to we can't look at it as like it's normalized, is what I'm trying to say. And I really think it's it's a bigger, larger scale issue, especially for younger populations that are more vulnerable to that. And we're just told that we can change our body. If you're not happy with your body, you should change it. And it's like, well, a lot of people can't, they cannot lose any more weight. Literally they're meant to be in larger bodies. The only way for them to lose weight is to get a surgery, spend a lot of money on medication to totally take away their appetite, which has other disastrous effects long-term. And it's just not healthy. For us to think that if we're not happy with something, we can change it all when we really should be trying to work on feeling good about ourselves with what we have, feeling good in our lives, taking a step outside the mirror and looking at everybody else and looking at the world around us. And I'm saying it like it's very easy. It is not. And I don't do it all the time either. I get suckered in too. But it's just like, I made it my mission to not make it worse for people. And as a registered dietitian, people come to me for this all the time. And I really try to say like, my goal is that you feel healthy at any size, no matter what the BMI chart says, you're able to go to a restaurant and eat what you want, no matter what the diet industry says, and you can dress the way you want, no matter what the fashion industry tells you to dress, how to dress. So it's, we want, I'm, I'm trying to help people feel more free in, the, in their body and trust their body again and trust food. But I will say it is okay to still want to lose weight. And there are times where it can benefit people. So I call myself diet neutral because I don't believe in a diet centered approach. I believe that there's some people that can benefit from intentional weight loss. And there's some people that just don't, and it has to be patient-centered, client-centered, not diet-centered.
0: I love that. I just like, just to backtrack what you're saying, because I agree with you. I think the first step, it's changing that perspective. I think just how you're talking, we live in this society where we pick ourselves apart, we're comparing ourselves But there can also be that change in perspective, like, hey, you know, I feel sluggish. Like, I don't feel as good as I truly want to, you know, so I do want to lose weight. Like, losing weight would help that. So it's almost connecting. And I think that's another reason with diets why they don't truly work is because people only connect on a surface level. It's for vanity reasons. But it's like connecting to that deeper level of like, hey, I want to feel good in my body. I want to feel energized. So And I feel like we're on the same page about that. So tell me about diet neutral. I love that you say diet neutral. Talk to me about that. Yes, for sure. So it's really just that diets are not
1: bad and not all diets fail. Many do fail, but you don't fail the diet. The diet fails you because it's too rigid, too restrictive. Mm -hmm. It's not personalized. It's like that uniform, one size fits all. Everybody gets the same plan and should expect the same results, which is just not scientific at all. So diet neutral is really about looking at the person and saying, okay, this is what's going on in your life. This is your weight history. This is your relationship with food. Let's put it all together and let's figure out what a more personalized, effective approach is for you. And what does it mean for it to work? Like, what do you want out of it? Like when you say work, like you were talking about, some people go in and they're saying, yes, I could. I wouldn't be mad if I lost a few pounds, but I also just really don't feel well, feel sluggish. I feel like I can't keep up with my kids and I'm not sleeping well and my hormones all over the place and I have irregular periods and my skin is breaking out. And I know that it's from my eating habits. I know that's a big part of it at least, maybe not the root cause, but a big part of it. So for them, we would want to tailor it and we want to pull out these, like what we like to call scale-free successes. Like what are ways that we can look at uh, measures of making progress and things that you're doing well and succeeding in that have nothing to do with the number on the scale? Because the number on the scale, it just lies. It's just not 100% accurate. Our weight is at least 50%, sometimes more, depending on the person water. So if you gain a pound, why would you think that's all body fat? Our belief alone is at least 50%. The scale messes with
0: the mind. Like
1: I am not about it. (laughs) It really, it really does. And it can be a lot of times a mind game, but the scale can be such a source of discouragement and distraction. And you can just feel so defeated with the scale when like, A lot of people, and I noticed this in my practice with clients, and I've been doing this for over a decade, that sometimes they're making all these changes and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. And then like three weeks later, all of a sudden they lose three, four pounds, and then it slows down a little bit again. It's not like what we see, what we're made to believe that weight loss should be a steady, consistent two, sometimes people expect five pounds a week, which is absurd unless you're really have a lot of water weight that you're losing but mm-hmm. it's not like that it's going to take some time for your body to catch up and if you're exercising then that also plays a role because not that muscle weighs more than fat 5 pounds of muscle is the same as 5 pounds of fat but when you gain muscle you lose body fat and the total number on the scale can be the same but you could be losing body fat and that's what we want at the end of the day we don't want you don't want to lose muscle when you're losing weight, it probably will happen. So I always encourage people to look at body composition, but some people are honestly better off not looking at numbers at all. And like Mm -hmm. I said, looking at those other ways of measuring progress, it could even be like, look, I went to a meal and I enjoyed it. And I didn't feel like I had to finish every last bite on my plate. I was able to enjoy, I walked away, I felt satisfied, not stuffed that's a win. That's awesome. So many people struggle with just knowing when to stop eating that just to go through a meal and be like, I walked away and I felt like I didn't overdo it at a restaurant. That's a huge accomplishment. It's very hard to do that for a lot of people, especially if you've had such a long history of dieting, which takes away from listening to your body. Diets are all about follow this plan to tell you what to eat, when to eat, how to eat. And because of that, we lose that ability to listen to those internal cues that we're all naturally born with, but you have to practice it. Otherwise you lose it.
0: We'll be back after a quick break. I like the idea of measuring progress beyond the scale. You know, I struggle. I'm pregnant right now. And, you know, stepping on the scale at every appointment, knowing that, like, obviously, Gaining weight during pregnancy is part of it, but it's it's really it's depressing. It could be depressing, or you feel down, or you feel like this defines my progress, and kind of what you were talking about. So prior, before getting pregnant, I did a whole weight loss journey, and I didn't see the scale move at all for months. You know, but I took photos, and I could see differences in my body that the scale wasn't reflecting. And just like you were saying, I was working out, so I was building muscle and all that. So I love how like the scale does not define your progress and there's other ways to define it. And also giving yourself grace and celebrating those small wins of enjoying, yes. you know, those meals and stuff. So how does someone know, I, I know that I've struggled with my relationship with food. What are some of those signs that you might, you know, need to rethink your relationship with food? What kind of sticks out as that of having? I would say, yes, totally. And that's
1: a great question. I would say the number one thing would be if you feel guilty if you often Mm -hmm. feel bad, if you're also, if you're, if you're often eating and feel like you committed a crime or there's like that remorse or guilt or, you know, and, and it really takes up a lot of mental space. That to me is the number one sign. It doesn't mean you have an eating disorder, but it could be on the cusp, on the verge. And it's a great time to address that and get help. Also, if I were to ask you, what is, what does it feel like to be hungry? And what does it feel like to be full and satisfied, which can be two different things, but what does it feel like to be full and or satisfied? And you Couldn't really figure that out. You have no idea. That's another sign that that relationship with food needs some work. If you're also somebody that uses food a lot more for non biological, non non hunger, non biological hunger reasons, like if you're like, oh, you know, food is the reason to is is a, a means of entertainment. It's a means of of reward. It's a means of dealing with negative emotions, if you find yourself stress eating a lot, eating for out of anger or loneliness and sadness, if you do feel as though there are occasions where you eat a large quantity of food in a very short period of time, and again, you feel bad afterward, if you have really bad body image, if you've Feel like, if we were to rate it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being amazing body image, you love the way you look, which I don't even know if that's healthy all the time, <laughs> but love the way you look all the time, it's great. And one being just absolutely can't even look at a mirror because you know you're going to tear yourself apart. If you're out of five or less, I, I know that's a big catalyst or even cause of a poor relationship with food. A lot of times it does start with poor body image, and that's sometimes really hard because that can go deep, it can mm-hmm. be molded from experiences in childhood from bullying teasing comments from parents comparison to siblings comments from doctors dietitians i can't tell you how many clients will say my doctor told me when i was a child that i needed to lose weight or my, i went to a dietitian and she told me that i need so it can come from anywhere unfortunately even people that we entrust with our health and our well-being. it can come from from there too. So it could run really deep, but I would say any of those issues, and a lot of times there's not just one, there's multiple, can mean that it's time to address it. And also if you're someone that doesn't eat when you're stressed out, if you have an issue with eating enough, because when you're stressed, you just can't think about food, that could also affect your health. And it is an issue with your relationship with food. We, We want to, as much as we can, separate food and feelings. Even though food can definitely be a source of joy and pleasure, we don't want it it to be so uh, confused that we're not able to properly listen to our body and that physiological hunger.
0: Yeah. So I know in your book you talk about the four different archetypes of eating. Tell me, break that down because I think that's so interesting and we can kind of identify with one of those. For sure. So what I did was I took some time, a lot of time, to
1: think about (laughs) – all the different eating archetypes and personality types that I've seen throughout the years and the issues that people have with food, especially relationship with food. And I tried to really break it into four different clear archetypes. So we have the erratic eater, the judgmental eater, the dependent eater, and the obsessive. So each one has certain characteristics and traits that would categorize them as one of those archetypes, but I also want to preface all of that by saying some people might identify with multiple and it's kind Mm -hmm. of created that way too, because we can shift from one type to the other, depending on circumstances in our life, the erratic eater. And a lot of them sound as the, as the label, the erratic eater is somebody that doesn't really make time for food. They're the person that's not really sitting down in the day. Food is an afterthought. They usually only have one big meal a day and it's usually only when they're sitting with their family or at night. Um, it's like a lot of grab and go. It's, it's just like kind of all over the place. Like there's just such little structure and those they might often struggle with either not eating enough or feeling like they're eventually overeating because they didn't make time for food. And that can lead to eventually overeating. Then we have our dependent eater. Our dependent eater is the one that does... Food is a focal point. They they are planning activities around food. They're planning vacations around food. They're using food a lot for entertainment and enjoyment and comfort and to deal with stress. And food is their main coping mechanism for a lot of different issues and uncomfortable feelings and other things in life. So for them, of course, overeating can be an issue of feeling guilty because they're overeating. And the, but the biggest issue out of all of that is they're not really properly dealing with emotions. Because when we eat because we're angry, sad, bored, we're not really dealing with the issue. Why are we feeling that way? It's not the best way to deal with it. I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think emotional eating is actually part of a healthy diet. But if that's your only coping mechanism, then you are suppressing feelings that really need to be addressed. Then we have our judgmental eater. Our judgmental eater is often the person that's been on so many diets and it's not their fault. And by the way, nobody chooses to be in any of these categories. It just happens. The (laughs) judgmental eater might be, the person who's doing a lot of self-judgment or they might be food policing other people. I can't believe you're eating that. It's so fattening. I can't believe that you know how many calories are in that. Oh my God, I ate so much. I need to exercise 10 hours tomorrow. It's those judgmental that like things are good and bad. That's Mm -hmm. good for you. That's bad for you. I can't believe you're eating that. I can't believe I'm eating that. And it's a lot of those types of comments and they're clearly not listening to their body at all. They've made food, the enemy they've, they're not, they're not properly, uh, looking at food as a source of nourishment and fuel and they can often also run the uh, commonly end up overeating maybe restricting too much they it, it can develop into an eating disorder uh, at the very least it's definitely disordered dysfunctional eating and for them they have to kind of unlearn a lot before they can learn a new approach so that's my 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 group of people that really we have to first work on unlearning all of the things they were told because of the various diets they went on or the various uh, dietitians or doctors. And I'm not blaming any one person at all, because you asked me 10 years ago when I first got in this industry, it was all about diet. It was like, tell people to control portions and obesity epidemic was reverberated across the country. And that was like our primal thing. That was what we were trained to do. Now we know it it has shifted so much and we know that that doesn't help. All that we're doing by talking about how, how bad things are is you're making some people rebel and want to eat it anyway and then eat more of it. And the other people just become incredibly afraid of eating it. And they're also not, No one, nobody wins with that. So it's not helping any person. It hasn't helped the obesity epidemic clearly. And it definitely isn't helping eating disorder prevalence and people's own relationships with food. So then we come to our last, that's a good segue, our last group, which is the obsessive eater. These are Probably the most at risk if they don't already have an eating disorder, and I put that in the book—a disclaimer that if you categorize, if you if you identify as an obsessive eater, it is very important to seek professional help. Um, that even though this plan is really not a restrictive diet at all, anything can be used when your eating disorder voice kicks in, anything can be used in a harmful way. Any right. plan, any program, any advice can be flipped and manipulated. And it's not the person, it's the eating disorder that does that to them. And it can become really unhealthy and dangerous. So I always, I made sure to put that several places throughout the book, because a lot of times people with those obsessive tendencies and eating disorders are the low hanging fruit. They're the ones going after the diet plans and the weight loss plans. And I, I talk about food freedom and that's my hope for everybody, but they can just completely glaze over that. And they're just beelining for the weight loss and product. So I made sure to put a, 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 a disclaimer and that's just the people that really think about it. I mean, constant thoughts, constant fears, r- food rules, food fears, Fears of gaining weight, fears of not losing weight, fears of overeating, fears of being judged by their peers. It's just, it's consuming. It's consuming to them, and it becomes a serious mental health issue. So, not to get really dark and serious, but <laughs> it is part of it. So um, so those are the four different archetypes. And and in each one, I also give people some tips and tools of how to work their way out of that, like mindful eating exercises and not labeling foods as good and bad and getting over that all or nothing mindset, which almost every category can develop, that all or nothing, which is kind of what you said You start that diet and then it crashes and burns and then you're back to like, screw it. I already ate this donut. I might as well just eat the whole box. And then Mm -hmm. like it just kind of unravels from there.
0: Yeah. I talk about the all or nothing thinking all the time because that's what it's either zero or perfection. And we all know perfection does not exist. Yeah. So... We're aware of what's going on. We've identified with an archetype. Here we are. How do we find food freedom? What are some of the steps? And also, I just kind of want to ask you, You know, we live in the world now where there's so much processed food, you know, it's like you don't prep your food for the day and then you go to McDonald's or something, or you go to the grocery store and you get the frozen meal. It's the, you know, how, what are some ways that we can kind of find that food freedom and manage, you know, around all the processed unhealthy foods? Very good question. It is hard. We are up
1: against a lot and it is very different. There's so many options. And I'm in New York city where you walk out in the street and there's like 10 restaurants on the same block and three convenience stores. It's just everywhere. And then simultaneously you have these, these ideas and these images and these messages of, of of that thin is better and successful and attractive. And it's just really hard to balance it all and not just feel like so overwhelmed and a prisoner in this whole diet culture bubble that we live in. So what I usually say for that is, first of all, got to stop labeling labeling foods as as good and bad. It just doesn't exist. And even healthy and unhealthy can be damaging. There's no one food that's inherently good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. It depends on the whole, your diet as a whole, your eating habits as a whole. You could have a healthy diet, but to call one food good and one food bad, that dichotomous view really trips people up because then you've already decided how to feel before you've even eaten it. You've already decided I ate something quote unquote bad. So I should feel bad. I ate something quote unquote unhealthy. So now I'm being unhealthy. This is what I'm doing. So I might as well keep going. So the labeling is, is really hard. And I hear it constantly in client sessions. And I always call people out because it's, I think it helps them not to call them out and make them feel bad for feeling bad, but just to to kind of identify and be aware of how often we, we talk to ourselves like that is so important. It's that inner dialogue and that self-talk. So that's first thing. You mentioned processed foods, and we know there are a ton of processed foods that are actually quite nutritious, like chickpea pasta and veggie burgers and any packaged grains really are processed. Any cereals are really processed to a certain extent. So that ultra, ultra processed food that's really stripped of the nutrients, jam-packed with added sugar, refined flour, pretty nutritionally void. There's like very little nutritional value in it. Of course, you eat a lot of that. You're not getting the nutrients your body needs. It's going to spike your blood sugar. It's going to potentially increase inflammation in your body. It depends on that too. And it's not going to make you very healthy in the long run. And that goes without saying. But here's the kicker, the secret. When you give yourself permission to enjoy a variety of foods, literally everything goes, put everything on your, on your not literally put everything on your table, but anything can come on the table that you desire. You will crave sweets and you will crave the chips and the packaged food, but you will likely also crave the salads and the fruit and the nuts and the yogurt and the whole grains and the proteins. And once you can get there, it's an amazing feeling. It's unlike anything other. And it's so much more worth it to live your life that way than be five five pounds less and feel like you're dodging bullets all the time. Because everywhere you go, there you are and there is food. And guess what? You have to eat every single day for the rest (laughs) of your life. That is a fact. And (laughs) any social gathering, any holiday, there is food, and it's not going to be lettuce and Brussels sprouts. It's going to be the food that you really crave and that you really enjoy. So I think that's very important. Now, some people come in, they're like, that's great, but that sounds like a unicorn. How, like, that does not, (laughs) it's like you're speaking a completely different language. I can never imagine doing that. I know I'm just going to end up binge eating, I'm going to gain a ton of weight. And in the beginning, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it is very possible that some people can gain weight from that. And it is really hard to accept that. It doesn't mean that you're meant to gain that weight. It doesn't mean that you won't lose that weight. But if you don't lose that weight and you do gain a little bit of weight, and it's been a long time since you've been working on it, it is also possible that's weight you needed to gain. It's possible that you are in a state of starvation for way too long. And if you didn't get out of that, it could be worse. Your metabolism could have slowed. You could have been malnourished. It could have messed with your mental health. So, I would always want people to understand that and when that happens I I it is okay and that's what the book has to have some kind of structured plan it's very different to have a structured flexible plan than it is to have a rigid restrictive plan mm-hmm. a structured plan can say okay there's portion awareness there's some strategy you're adding you're focusing on what to add in you know what to incorporate on your plate as much as possible, but there can't be rules. There can't be requirements. There can't be punishment and compensation. There can't be, oh, I didn't follow it. So that means I did something bad. You have to be practicing, listening to your body at the same time. It's kind of like the training wheels, is what I tell people. It's like, you know, you, you, you get, have the training wheels on your bicycle, but eventually we got to take those training wheels off. You got to ride free. You might fall down a few times, but you'll get back up. And that's the way you learn to ride a bike. That's the only way. So, That's kind of the best analogy I can give people to explain how this works.
0: I love it. And I think the biggest takeaway from that is understanding that, you know, there's a lot of relearning that we have to do, you know, and also we live in this like society where we want instant gratification. We want the results we want. And what you're talking about, it's a process, you know, it takes time. It takes learning and figuring it out. And I love how you kind of mentioned that, like, you know, you might, you might, Start off going a different direction, but it's relearning it. So I love that. I'm so excited for people to know where your book is. Where can we find your book? Where can we find you on social media? I feel like I need to have you on another time because I could talk to you for hours. I could talk for hours. So <laughs> thank
1: you me up, I for up. Great for podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so you can find the book on most major book retailers like, of course, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. Uh, You could also go to my website, which is my practice group, nynutritiongroup.com. So NY is New York nutritiongroup.com. I actually have a large private practice. We accept most major health insurance plans because we believe that nutrition should be accessible and affordable and not this luxury thing that no one has access to. So NY Nutrition Group. You can buy it from there or any of the retailers that I mentioned. And my social handle is Lisa M as in Mary Nutrition. Boring to the point, but (laughs) you could find me easily.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, Lisa, for joining us. Go check her out. Go get her book today and find your food freedom. Stick around for next week's episode.